Hi, I'm Terry Woods. This is a special Christmas series and part of Texas Storytellers. Oh, you know the rest. We're brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us on Woodlands Online on their Roku station. You can hear us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, Stitcher and others. And we have a special sponsor for this series, Herb and Beat. I gotta tell you, this series includes another friend of mine who is a Texas storyteller, for real. And he's done some episodes of Texas Storytellers, Mark Hader. Mark Hader has written some stories, especially for Christmas, and he is going to read them. And at times, he's even going to let his wife, Kay, read some. So, without further ado, Mark Hader and his stories. And you're going to hear Kay, too. Enjoy! Hello, time for another story. And this one is about Linus. Uh, not the real Linus, but, well, listen up and you'll uh, find out what I'm talking about. A Linus Christmas. Of all the stupid ideas that ever surfaced in the mind of a high school drama teacher, Miss Pinkney managed to conjure the stupidest of all. Oddly enough, the ones who witnessed the implementation of her idea thought it sheer genius. They were allowed that slanted viewpoint because they merely witnessed what happened and were not directly involved. In December of 1981, Miss Barbara Pinckney was in charge of a performance uh, at Central High School's Christmas pageant. The choir, orchestra, dancers uh, from the pep squad and the drama students were all performing and Miss Pinckney was responsible for directing the whole kit and caboodle. The production was in the last two weeks of rehearsal when uh, Pinckney got the ridiculous notion to find a little kid who would walk on stage at the end of the show and deliver the lines that Charlie Brown's friend Linus delivered in a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, the, the one where he uh, explains what Christmas is all about. Behold, uh, I bring you good tidings. It's, it's in Luke 2, uh, 8 through 14. Anyway, Miss Pinckney contacted Selma Page, the music teacher at Sutton Elementary, asking if she knew of a gifted, cute-looking first or second grader who might be able to convincingly portray Linus. Right off the bat, Mrs. Page ruled out the possibility of any first grader being suitable. Uh, the first graders of 81-82 were an odd lot. Well, a few of them were normal, but overall, sheesh. Bless her heart, Mrs. Page knew of a pleasant and teachable second grader who might be able to do the job. It certainly didn't hurt that the kid had a voice that could be mistaken for cuteness. The kid was David Weller. Uh, that'd be me. I was the poor sap peg to play the part of Linus. You know, uh, the craziest thing about it is that I actually agreed to do it. My mother was all gaga with the idea. Her son had been selected from the entire field of elementary students to be in a high school play. My daddy was uh, more realistic. You sure you want to do this, son? Look, your mother and me uh, won't feel bad at all if you decide to pull out of this. Uh, Lance, my big brother, did nothing but joke about the uh, thought of me performing on stage in front of high school students. 
Lance was a junior at Central High and was obviously afraid I'd botched the whole scene and people would poke fun at him for having the stupidest brother around. Um, it took me a week to memorize the Bible passage that Linus delivered. I, I spent the next week trying to get my voice right. Since Linus was a cartoon figure, the kid who dubbed his voice uh, was reading the lines in the movie. I had to memorize the words, and if I messed up on stage, Mom would cry and Lance would kill me. Well, Miss Pinckney gave Mom a picture of Linus wearing a green knitted sock hat and holding a small blue blanket. Mom matched the clothing as best she could. I, I must admit that uh, I became one with Linus. I was allowed to skip school for three afternoons so Mom could drive me over to Central High to rehearse in front of Miss Pinckney. She told me to quit trying to sound cute, that my natural voice was perfect. She demonstrated some hand gestures I might use as I spoke my lines. I'm here to tell you that it's impossible to gesture properly while clutching a blue blanket. Miss Pinckney even added, li added lines. I was supposed to walk on stage in the dark. When I got to the center of the stage, I was supposed to say, lights please. Two words I had to remember. After delivering all my lines, I was supposed to wait for two seconds and then say, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Well, can you believe that? At the last minute, the woman is throwing extra stuff at me. The stupid blanket alone was going to drive me nuts. Anyway, at uh, 1047 Friday morning, the curtain came down after the final act of the morning's performance. The high school students hooted and clapped just like a bunch of teenagers who were tickled pink uh, to be out of class for an hour. Uh, suddenly, the uh, lights were dimmed to dark. Uh, that caught the kids off guard. Some uh, of them started making ghosts out like, woo. At that moment, Miss Pinckney coaxed me onto the stage. I had no idea it was going to be that dark. She should have rehearsed me for that. Anyway, the audience uh, spying a small dark shadow approached center stage got quiet. All that could be heard was my heart beating. I stood there for a few seconds. At one point, I could hear Miss Pinckney off stage saying, Psst. I had no idea what I was supposed to say. Finally, Pinckney gave me uh, up on the thought of me saying, Lights, please. Suddenly, the spotlight hit me. Wham! There I was. A frozen kid wearing a green sock hat, clutching a blue blanket, and shaking like a chihuahua locked in a fridge. I would have swallowed real hard had I managed to find enough spit. I don't know how long I stood mute. Uh, I couldn't move. I later realized that the reason I couldn't swallow was because all of my saliva had turned into tears and was dispatched to my eyes. I can't be certain I was crying. Tears were just streaming down my cheeks, but I wasn't sobbing or anything. Some little pockets of laughter began to filter through the audience. Off stage, I heard Miss Pinckney loudly whisper, and there were in the same country. Nothing. I had nothing. At the age of seven, I was experiencing the fifth level of hell. I could hear Miss Pinckney's footsteps as she approached center stage. She stopped in her tracks after noticing a figure walking up the aisle, stage right. The person climbed the steps to the stage and entered the circle of light that held me captive. Lance put his hand on my shoulder, drew me to his side, and whispered, It's okay, Muggs. To the audience, he said, If you had any idea how many times I heard my kid brother deliver his lines, it'd make you freak. 
The audience laughed a rather awkward laugh. I could say the lines to you right now, but it, it wouldn't sound as good. My brother is now experiencing a moment that will live in infamy. I remember the word infamy because of the great job Mr. Delaney did telling us about Pearl Harbor last week, December 7th, the date which will live in infamy. Thanks, Mr. Delaney. There were a few hoots from the crowd. Lance looked down at me and said loud enough for all to hear, I hope you get Mr. Delaney when you get to high school, David. He's cool and might give me some extra credit for saying so. The audience laugh was uh, more genuine this time. There were even a few, woo woo. Lance continued, all in all, I think this year's Christmas play was pretty good, don't you? Everyone cheered, better than last year when Reggie did that odd elf routine. Stand up, Reggie, you crazy man. The auditorium lights came on as Reggie stood to the cheers of his classmates. That's enough, sit down, Reggie. Yep, it was a good Christmas performance. Christmas. That's something that is as confusing as all get out to me. It's one odd story. You've got these wise men. What's that all about? Guys riding around on camels, stopping every once in a while to say something smart? Laughter. Following a star? How do you follow a star? If you haven't noticed, they're slow. More laughter. Lance was killing them. A barn, a manger, and swaddling clothes. I understand what a manger is, but I have absolutely no idea what swaddling clothes are. Again with the laughter. What's frankincense? And myrrh. Who gives a lady a bottle of myrrh for Christmas? But let's face it, it's all tied to the story called Christmas, the story none of us can really understand and many of us don't believe. Some of you may remember Mrs. Crane telling us in English literature class that everybody believes in something, even if you believe in nothing. That's something, Mrs. Crane. I understood that for all of two seconds, but I'm sure it applies to something because everything applies to something, even nothing. Much more laughter. I've got to tell you, though, there is one thing I certainly believe. In fact, I know. My kid brother nailed his lines at home. I'm just sorry you didn't get a chance to hear him deliver them. But it's no big deal to me. This, this little guy right here is my brother, and he could start slobbering and mooing like a cow, and I'd still love him. So would our mom and dad, and more importantly, I know that the person that Christmas is all about would love him no matter what he did. That's what I believe. You would not believe the applause Lance got for saying that. From high school students, no less. Soon everyone was standing. Lance took my hand and said, Come on, Muggs, showtime's over. He started to escort me off the stage, but I asked him if I could try again to say my lines. He looked stage left to Miss Pinckney. She smiled big and nodded. Lance said, Go for it, kid. Everyone sat back down. I looked at Miss Pinckney and I pointed to the lights. She stepped off stage and dimmed the lights to dark. After a brief pause, I said, Lights, please. The audience applauded as the spotlight hit me. After a brief pause, I took the words in my, I put the words in my best Linus voice. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone down around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people.
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I pause for a full two seconds before ending with, And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Again, everyone stood up cheering. The curtain opened and all the cast and people in the choir and orchestra came out, started waving and yelling. The girls uh, started hugging me and the guys were trying to give high fives uh, when they weren't trying to hug the girls. The performance later that night delivered to the parents got off without a hitch. You're not going to believe it, but Miss Pinckney wanted me to pretend to forget my lines so Lance could come up again and uh, spike up the ending. I had no desire to do that. Lance told Miss Pinckney that the words just came to him for a moment and that he couldn't reenact the scene even if he wanted to. It was the proudest of moments for me. Not my part of the event, you understand. It was what Lance did, what he said. I was so proud of my big brother. I still am. This Sunday, all of the Weller family is meeting at Mom and Dad's for Christmas. At some point, Lance and I will recite Linus's lines. My big brother turned what had been one scary moment into a family tradition. <laughs> Imagine that. Make it a Merry Christmas. Hello, I'm Kay Hader, and I'm going to read a short story called The Bear, the Pelican, and the Sparrow. It's written by my husband, Mark Hader, who wrote this whole book full of short stories. The Bear, the Pelican, and the Sparrow. Piper was a sparrow as out of place as a sparrow can be. She was lost and alone and standing on the railing of an ice-covered pier at the edge of a frozen bay. Arriving at the perch had drained her last drop of strength. She had even lost the energy to shiver. Taking a final look at the snow-covered trees that circled the large open sheet of ice, Piper closed her eyes to sleep her last sleep. The only part of her life that she remembered had not been all that wonderful. She had no place she could go or anyone who would miss her. The thought of sleeping through her last moment didn't even bring a tear, not even a frozen one. Before her mind had time to drift, she was startled by the sound of a loud plunk, followed by a flop. Not expecting any visitors, the noise startled Piper. She instantly opened her eyes and looked down at the iced over water next to the pier. She tilted her head slightly and focused her gaze on a rather large and very old pelican. She thought he was dancing on the ice, but he was actually just trying to stand up. The pelican managed to gain his balance long enough to ask, Why are you here, little song wing? Can't you see it is long past spring? The wind's so brisk, your skin's so soft, you're liable to freeze your tail feathers off. Piper laughed as an old memory began to surface. She hadn't found a memory since flying headfirst into the window pane of a house in a town that she couldn't remember. She said, You're a fly bag. I remember seeing you once. 
It was over large water, and you were flying in a bunch. The pelican, again dancing, thought hard on the words before saying, Flying in a bunch? We usually fly in a straight line or in a V, and there are so many of us, I doubt one was me. By the way, I am Winchell, that is my name. If you don't mind awfully, would you share with me the same? Piper said, My name. I don't remember mine. I flew into a window at a house in the pine. Oh, and Mr. Winchell, could you tell me, please, why are we talking in rhyme? For me, it takes far too much time. The words caused Winchell to lose his dancing feet and to flop on his rear with a thud. This time, he decided to stay seated. You mean this is not a storybook story? We don't have to rhyme? Oh, I feel so much better now. Piper informed Winchell that she had never heard of a storybook, and if she were in one, she would just as soon leave it. Winchell was so relieved. I hate talking in verse. I have been in two stories, and in one I was cursed. He let out a sigh. I'm sorry, little song wing. Once I get into rhyme talk, it is hard for me to knock it off. I mean, stop. There, that's better. Piper managed to smile. She had little energy or anything else. Realizing that the little song wing was near frozen and completely exhausted, the old flyby Realizing that the little song wing was near frozen and completely exhausted, the old flybag suggested she jump down into the sack of his beak and let him fly her to a small enclosure that sat atop an old building further inland. There are lines of light strung all over the building, he told her, and a nice scene on the ground of fake upwalkers standing around an open boxed nest, he said. There's a baby upwalker inside the nest, and all of the make-believe upwalkers and animals seem to be happy about seeing it, Winchell said. It's really a nice thing. You'll be able to see it from my small shelter atop the building. So come on, little song wing, jump down. Piper wasn't sure. Do flybags eat song wings, she asked. Winchell said that he never had, but he was so hungry that he probably could eat a song wing. However, he promised that he would not. Piper couldn't remember if flybags were to be trusted, but she knew that even if she did get eaten, it would be warm in Winchell's mouth, if only for a few seconds. She smiled at her perhaps friend and said, It's okay, Mr. Winchell, you can eat me, I don't mind. That way I can find out if there is anything at the end of time. Hey, you don't have to rhyme, remember? And I don't want to hear you talk like that, little song wing, Winchell said. Now jump, or drop down here and I'll catch you. Winchell made a great catch of Piper, and as soon as he closed his long bagged beak, the sparrow fell asleep. The old pelican started out in a walk across the flat, thick ice. The walk soon became a trot and eventually turned into an all-out charge. Winchell left the ice three times before managing sustained flight. By the time he made it to what turned out to be a rustic church building, the large seabird was panting just like an old pelican that had been flying around too long on a frozen night. After circling the aged church building, Winchell realized that he was not going to make it to the small bell tower. 
He knew for a fact that he didn't feel well enough to negotiate a balance slide over the roof's peak, followed by a safe dismount into the small enclosure. He had so hoped to save the sparrow. His only recourse was to slide to a landing on the snowy road in front of the church. Winchell had no idea how far he would have slid had he not hit the snowbank heaped around the town's only public mailbox. The pelican was done in. He didn't know how he was going to explain it to the sparrow, but he knew there was no hope for either of them. The jolt at the mailbox awakened Piper and she began pushing against Winchell's beak until he opened wide. Are you okay, Mr. Winchell? Piper asked. You're not broken or anything, are you? Winchell explained that he was not broken. He was just old and cold and too weak to save either of them. It took him several seconds before he could convince the ornery parts of his body to assume a sitting position. Once his beak, feathers, and feet got arranged, the fly bag said, I'm so sorry I couldn't help you, little song wing, but I would consider it a blessing if you would remain here with me so we can both meet our end of time together. The little song wing nodded and thanked her near savior for trying so hard and for caring so much. By the way, she said, after your landing, another memory hit me, an important one too. My name is Piper and I know where I'm supposed to be and I know it's too far away to reach, but I am happy that I get to be with you for the last of my time. It's hard to tell if a pelican is smiling or crying. No matter, Winchell was doing both. The sparrow nuzzled against the pelican's wing and yawned a small yawn. Winchell nudged her under his wing and closed his eyes. That's when the roar came. Such a roar that Winchell thought it would wake the entire town. Bears look much bigger the closer they get. From a quarter mile away, this one was even huge from a distance. From a dead run, the bear slid to a stop that ended three feet from the stunned feathered prince. What are you doing on a snowy road at night? asked the bear. It's way past spring. Why haven't you two taken flight? Winchell explained to the clapper claw that they hadn't come from a storybook story, so he didn't have to talk in rhyme. The bear was very glad to hear that. He had been in only one story, and he considered it humiliating for a clapper claw. Piper explained how Winchell and she both had problems that prevented them from flying south for the winter. She then asked, Mr. Clapper Claw, what are you doing awake this time of year? The bear explained that he didn't care to be called Clapper Claw, that he preferred the name Upwalkers gave him. When upwalkers see me, they always holler, Bear! So I'm a bear named Bogart, named after my aunt. Winchell did a quick glance at Piper and then said, Hmm, you are named after a female clapper claw? I mean bear? Bogart gave Winchell a glare that would shatter glass. Yes, you got a problem with that fly bag? Winchell felt frozen before, but now he became frozen with fear. He started stammering, Uh, no, no, sir. I mean, Mr. Tapford, I mean... Piper mustered all her strength, flew up, and landed on the bear's nose. Looking right into the left eye of the beast, Piper said, Winchell didn't mean anything by it, Mr. Bogart. He was trying to... Bogart brushed Piper away and then uncrossed his eyes. Hey, I was just messing with you two. 
The bear grinned big as he stared down at the pelican. Mm, Winchell, is it? Fearing that Winchell was still without words, Piper spoke right up. Yes, sir, he's Winchell, and I'm Piper. It may take my friend a few seconds to unclench. By the way, Mr. Bogart, I thought Clapper, I mean, bears hibernate. Why are you awake? Please call me Bogart without the mister in front of it. Truth is, I always have trouble hibernating, said Bogart. I toss and turn for a week or two and then just go out and wander around. Tonight, I ended up in town and spotted Winchell. I've never seen a big ugly fly bag in the winter, and I didn't see you at all, little Songwing, until I slid to a stop. So, what kind of mischief are y'all getting into? Winchell found his voice and explained that they were both exhausted and freezing, so decided to sleep their last sleep together. Nonsense, Bogart roared. You two brave livelies aren't slipping away while I'm here. Give me a second to ponder the situation. Bogart, you don't need to worry, Winchell said. We are both too cold and too tired to... Hush up, Winchell, I'm thinking here, Bogart said. He looked up at the night sky and scratched behind his right ear. He started nodding softly at first and then gave a big nod and a roar. I got it, he said. I don't know if either one of you has been around many upwalkers, but I've got to tell you, they can be real stinkers. However, sometimes, just sometimes, they'll catch you off guard by doing something kind. In the last week or two, upwalkers have been in a much better mood. They get that way this time every winter. What we're going to do is take advantage of their kindness. It would be foolish not to. Bogart carried the two birds across the street to the church building that had the fake upwalkers and animals and the open wooden box nest with the upwalker doll inside. While holding Winchell with his left paw, Bogart instructed Piper to hop up on the edge of the box. Whatever you do, little Songwind, don't leave that spot. No matter what you hear or what you see, you stay planted right there. Bogart looked at Piper sternly to show her that this was serious business. Piper glanced over at Winchell to get his read on the situation. Bogart immediately tossed Winchell behind him. Don't look at him, Piper, Bogart said. I'm the bear in charge here. All you need to do is trust me, so get up there and stay put. With Piper in her proper place, Bogart grabbed hold of Winchell again and carried him down the road past the first two houses. The bear looked down the road for a few seconds and then up the road. He then plopped the fly bag down in front of him. Winchell, I don't want you to do anything but just stand here. That's it. I'm going to do some wild and crazy things, but I don't want you to worry. I know what I'm doing. Winchell thought he was lost before, but now he was completely bumfuzzled. He was too old, too cold, too hungry, too tired, and too sad to continue. He had already accepted his passing and wanted to hurry it along. Maybe it was the wind that made the tears start forming in Winchell's eyes, or maybe it was his shame for giving up. His tears instantly turned to ice, but Bogart noticed them for what they were. Picking up on the fly bag sadness, Bogart had to fat Picking up on the fly bag sadness, Bogart had to fight back a tear of his own. Look, Winchell, you trust me, don't you? I want to, the pelican said, but I don't understand you. I have trouble trusting what I don't understand. Bogart looked down at the pelican and gently reaching out and with one claw, 
He raised the seabird's large bagged beak so he could look directly into his eyes. He smiled and gave Winchell a wink. My friend, faith is believing in things you can't understand. If you understood all things, you wouldn't need any faith. Now, I'm a clapper claw, I mean a bear. I know all bears to be tough, and I know that all bears are not to be trusted. However, if after knowing me for this short while, you have no faith in me, you need to go climb in that wooden doll nest with your little friend and sleep your last sleep. It would probably be easier for you, and you wouldn't have to worry about trusting me. But I consider you a friend, and that makes you important to me. If you give up, I'll be so sad I'll never get to sleep. So, do you want to break this old bear's heart, or do you want to trust me? Winchell couldn't find any words. He had so many frozen tears under his eyes that he could hardly focus. He simply looked up at the bear and nodded. Thank you, friend, Bogart said. Now just stand here like I told you. I'll handle everything else. Bogart took a deep breath and exhaled a cloud of frozen mist. He turned and spotted a lone, tall fir standing in a large bank of snow just off the road. Bogart let out a growl and ran for the tree. Before reaching the snow bank, he jumped a jump that was farther than any bear could jump. Winchell was the only witness to the length and height of the jump, and because of all his frozen tears, he didn't believe what he saw. Bogart began breaking off tree branches as he scaled the tree. He found just the right branch halfway up. Before jumping down, he growled a growl that was so loud that any creature asleep or dead would want to get up and see what was happening. With the large torn branch in his hand, the hairy beast jumped from the tree into the deep snow and ran toward the third house from the church. He was roaring all the way. He ran right through the yard up to the door of the house and started banging on it. He then ran to the middle of the yard at the next house. From there, he tossed the heavy limb onto the roof, causing the built-up snow to come cascading to the ground. All the while, Bogart was acting out the role of a really angry bear. He kept going down the street, banging on doors, waiting for house lights to come on. It didn't take long. First one, then another. Soon every house along the street was all lit up. In an attempt to coax the human outdoors, Bogart stood in the middle of the road, growling his deepest growl. It was his meanest yell. He waited until he counted six humans standing on their porches, each one of them with a rifle. Bogart then took off running toward Winchell. When he got to the thunderstruck flybag, he picked him up with his right paw and lifted him over his head. He then shook him so that Winchell's feathers started flapping as if he were trying to escape. When Piper saw what Bogart was doing, she instantly found the energy to fly across the street where she zoomed right into Bogart's head. The bear didn't feel a thing. Piper started screaming, Stop, Bogart! You're hurting him! Stop it! Bogart eased Winchell down and then tossed him up so he could grab him with his mouth in an area just below the bird's beak. Piper kept screaming until he heard Winchell yell, It's okay, Piper. He's not hurting me. Go back to the baby upwalker's nest. With Winchell lightly held in his mouth, Bogart started running lickety-split back to the church building. The neighbors came out of their coma and started chasing the bear. One of them yelled, He's stolen somebody's rug! Another yelled, No, that's a bag of feathers! A woman screamed, 
whatever it is, it's alive. Once on the church grounds, Bogart slowed a bit so that the crowd could catch up and get a closer look. Two of the upwalkers stopped and raised their rifles. Bogart took that moment to lob Winchell in the direction of the big plastic donkey that was posed a couple of feet from the baby's nest. Neither Bogart nor Winchell had any idea how slippery the big plastic ice-covered donkey was. Winchell kerplopped on top of the donkey, then bounced off and landed right on top of the upwalker doll sleeping in the wooden nest. Piper lit on the lip of the box so she could check on her friend. Bogart made one more startling roar before whispering, You know, I think I can sleep after this. Goodbye, my friends. Then he hurried off into the night. The upwalkers were so shocked that they forgot to shoot at the bear. They just stopped and stared. On the morning of Christmas Eve, the front page of the Timmins Daily Press had a picture of a large pelican standing inside a manger next to the baby Jesus. On the rim of the manger stood a small bird that seemed somewhat perplexed at all the attention. They both just stood there as if waiting for something to happen. There were other photos on pages 2, 3, and 5. All the people on Pinewood Street wanted to have their picture taken next to the birds. The story that accompanied the photos explained how a large grizzly had gone mad and tried to destroy all the houses on the street. It wasn't clear to anyone what role the pelican had in, well, in anything. The reason for the sparrow's presence on the manger was equally perplexing. The reporter referred to Winchell as Jingle and Piper as Bells. Fortunately, the birds could not read human symbols. The article went on to say that the birds were both given a home in the back of Ted Esmer's Western Feed and Supply Store on South Main. A follow-up article mentioned how Ted's business tripled as the town folk dropped by to visit Jingle and Bells. Oh, and during the town's Christmas Eve gathering at the church, both Jingle and Bells, I mean Winchell and Piper, were given a special perch up front next to a manger that held a baby Jesus. After all, it was the holy cradle containing the Christ child that the two birds had gone to in their search for salvation from the mad bear. That was the holy theme that the preacher offered at the Christmas Eve service. It was a story that would be retold to children everywhere. Newspapers shared the story and the photos with the readers all over the country. As for Piper and Winchell, well, the birds stayed warm and well-fed all winter. Mr. Esmer even let them out of the store during the rare cool days. He allowed them to cross the street and sit on the bench outside the courthouse. Before letting them exit the store, he said something to them that had the tone of a warning. In truth, Piper and Winchell were like all the other animals they knew in the fact that they never could figure out what upwalkers were saying. They knew their angry sound, their friendly sound, and their watch-out sound. While the birds sat on the courthouse bench together, the people of Timmins would walk by and feed Piper popcorn and nuts and Winchell jelly beans. Winchell acquired a taste for jelly beans, but never cared much for popcorn and nuts. Piper picked at the treat so as not to appear ungrateful. She much preferred the thistle and sunflower seeds that Mr. Esmer provided in the store. It was April 12th when Winchell started his walk from the courthouse back to Mr. Esmer's store. Piper flew in circles around her friend until they both approached the feed store. This time it was different, though. 
There were up walkers lining both sides of the street. When the birds arrived back at the front of the Western Feed and Supply, the door was shut and Mr. Esmer was standing on the walkway looking down at them. The man uttered some words that made the other upwalkers laugh and cheer. Some of the words made the young upwalkers cry. How crazy was that? When he finished his words, Mr. Esmer waved at Winchell and Piper with the back of his hands. Winchell and Piper looked at one another. Does that mean what I think it means, Piper asked. Yes, said Winchell, I think that's the upwalker sign for shoe. Are you ready, my friend? Piper nodded and they both headed for the middle of the road. Piper hopped and Winchell waddled. The townsfolk whistled and cheered. Winchell began, Winchell began his trot down Main Street, slowly first, and then in a jog, then at an all-out charge. On his third lunge, the pelican was able to maintain flight. Piper stayed right next to him. They both flew around the town square twice before flying over the giant firs and pine in the direction of the bay. What do you want to do now, Piper asked. Winchell, while in a slow glide, replied, I would like us to stay right in this area. Soon the fly bags and song wings will come back and we'll make new friends. Piper ag agreed. But we'll never lose each other, okay, she said. Of course not, Winchell said. We've been through so much together that we're friends for always. The week after leaving downtown, Winchell and Piper started looking for Bogart. During their search, all of the creatures in the forest treated them as if they were special. Seems the story of the song wing fly bag and clapper claw and the little doll in the wood nest had spread throughout the forest. When Bogart heard that his two friends were looking for him, he made it a point to stay in the clearing on the big hill. Their meeting was a bit awkward, but bears, pelicans, and sparrows are not used to hugging one another. Bogart encouraged all the creatures, big and small, to gather around and listen to his story about their adventure with the upwalkers. He didn't even have to make anything up in the telling. The true story was exciting by itself. Piper, Winchell, and Bogart were never aware that they had all become famous among humans everywhere. They were now and forever characters in a popular Christmas tale, a tale that serves to instill a sense of hope, peace, and goodwill for all. And get this, the story didn't even rhyme. That's a good thing too. Not all creatures like to talk in rhyme. I don't know if you knew that. Well, I'll tell you. Those are some good stories. And Woodlands Online is very, very proud to bring them to you. They're also proud to have a fine sponsor, Urban Beat. Oh, and I want to tell you a little bit more about them, so I'm going to put my spectacles on. Urban Beat partners with local farms and vendors for the freshest food possible. It's located at 448 Sawdust Road, the Woodlands, Texas on the corner of Sawdust Road and Booty Road. Now go check them out. And come back for another episode of our special Christmas story series. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.